Thank you for tuning in to listen to an introduction to 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, which are the two Bible books we'll be studying in Explore the Bible during the spring of 2022. I'm Dwayne McCrary, and over the next few minutes, we'll get an overview about the city of Thessalonica, recount how the church was started, the circumstances behind the two letters, Paul's relationship with his church after the letters, and themes found in the two letters. First of all, let's start with the city. Thessalonica was the city of Macedonia and occupied a strategic location in the first century world. In addition to being a seaport city, it linked the east to the Adriatic Sea and Rome. Fertile soil, forest, and mineral deposits in the area contributed to the wealth of the city. Thessalonica was Macedonia's chief outlet to the sea. In the 5th century BC, the harbor was twice as large as it is today because through the years, silt has filled in the harbor. In Paul's day, the silting had already enclosed the western area of the city, creating a large lake with marshes filled with mosquitoes. In 167 BC, Rome divided Alexander's empire into four parts and Thessalonica became the administrative city of the second district. The Romans typically did not make it a policy to create a new capital city, but instead they delegated authority to cities already established. In 148 BC, when the province of Macedonia was consolidated, Thessalonica became the provincial capital and the residence of the governor. In the time of Paul, Thessalonica was a free city and the proconsul of Macedonia resided there, but he did not interfere with the local government unless some Roman law was violated. Self-government was allowed through the city council or board of magistrates. Luke referred to these local magistrates as polytarchs, and we find that in Acts 17, verse 6. Several inscriptions have been discovered which affirm Luke's use of the term polytarch in this region. The religious life of Thessalonica was varied, which we would expect for a capital city and one that set on a major trade route. In addition to synagogue that was there, Thessalonica was home to several of the mystery religions of the Mediterranean, which emphasized fertility. A temple in Thessalonica also served as a center for the worship of the Egyptian religions, which heavily emphasized life, death, and the resurrection. This may be one reason for the misconceptions concerning the Christian doctrine of resurrection, which Paul had to address in his letters. Besides these types of worship, a group of agricultural and earth gods associated with metalworking and nature deities is also found in the city. One would also find Roman-sponsored Ipmer worship. There was a little bit of everything when it came to religion. This would be the setting into which Paul would share the gospel. So how did this church get started? Paul was in Troas on his second missionary journey. God showed him a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. We know this as the Macedonian call. Paul and Silas went to the region, stopping first in Philippi. They preached and a church was established. After spending a night in prison for driving an evil spirit from a girl, Paul and Silas were forced to leave Philippi. 
they went down the road to Thessalonica. And for at least three Sabbaths, Paul reasoned in the synagogue with those present, and we are told many believed the gospel. Acts gives us the impression that Paul may have spent only three weeks in the city before being forced to leave. We find that in Acts 17, verses 5 through 10. But the three-week reference may refer only to Paul's period of witness in the synagogue before he turned to a primarily Gentile audience in another setting. Going first to the synagogue and then turning to Gentiles was a common pattern for Paul. We'll see that happening in Corinth when we look at Acts 18 and Ephesus in Acts 19. Most likely, Paul ministered in Thessalonica for a longer time than just three weeks in view of some of the things that he wrote and said that he had done there. For example, Paul stayed long enough to establish his tent-making trade, working with his own hands to support his ministry. His ability to win a large number of Gentile converts suggests a stay that was longer than three weeks. Also, the church in Philippi, which was 100 miles away, had enough time to collect and send gifts to Paul on two different occasions during his time in Thessalonica, and that's mentioned in Philippians 4.16. So the message that Paul delivered, first of all, was to the Jews, and it's summarized in Acts 17.3. It says he sought to demonstrate from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah, and this would have been the usual message that Paul would have presented to a Jewish audience. Paul's message to the Gentiles was a little different since they did not know the Old Testament. Paul summarized that message in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 9 through 10. And here are the three points. Turn from idols, serve the one true God, and trust in Christ, whom God has raised from the dead and who will deliver us from the coming wrath. These are the same sermon points that Paul delivered in Athens. And we find that in Acts 17, verses 22 through 31. Now, Paul found many converts from the Greek proselytes, and especially among the upper-class women who had been attracted to Judaism. The women of Asia Minor and Macedonia seemed to have enjoyed a higher degree of freedom than women in Achaia and other areas. Now, in this new religion called Christianity, they found equality in gender and race, something lacking in the Judaism they had been investigating. The Jewish leaders felt threatened by this new movement and stirred up a crowd against Paul. When he and Silas recognized the danger, they left quickly for Berea, which is to the southwest. In so doing, the leaders of the synagogue calmed down. The apostles' friends and new church avoid punishment, and the local authorities averted a political crisis. Now that leads us to the circumstances behind the two letters. Remember, Paul left Thessalonica under the cover of night, and they went inland about 50 miles to Berea. Timothy either accompanied them or joined them afterwards. Though well received in the synagogue in Berea, Paul was forced to leave that town as well when some of the enemies from Thessalonica started a mob action against him. Believers delivered him from the danger in Berea and accompanied him south to Athens. Paul instructed them to have Timothy and Silas join him in Athens as soon as possible. 
Now, at this point, Timothy's movements become particularly important. He seems to have been Paul's representative to the Thessalonian church. This was a pattern Paul regularly followed. Co-workers would be his main link with a congregation he had established, and they would be responsible for ministering to that congregation. Timothy seems to have had this role in Thessalonica. Although Acts does not mention that Timothy responded to Paul's request to join him in Athens, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5 implies that he did and that Paul sent him back to Thessalonica. After Paul had moved on from Athens and settled in Corinth, Timothy and Silas joined him there. And we see that in Acts 18, 5 in 1 Thessalonians 3, 6. No one knows how long Timothy stayed and taught in Thessalonica. But evidently, while there, they raised questions that caused Timothy to seek out Paul. Timothy headed to Corinth with both a great report as well as the number of questions that the Thessalonians had raised. Timothy's service to the Thessalonians may have continued in another strategic way, in that he may have been the letter carrier for both epistles that Paul wrote to the church. Now that brings us to the letters. Paul likely wrote 1 Thessalonians between the summer of 50 AD and the early months of 51 AD. This makes these letters to Thessalonica the earliest of Paul's writings in 1 Thessalonians. Paul's greatest concern appeared to be whether the new believers understood how to mesh together two apparently conflicting realities. On one hand, Paul had taught that Jesus was the soon returning king, and he would be coming to earth victoriously to reign. On the other hand, these believers were experiencing persecution from their fellow countrymen. And in addition, some of the new believers had died, which caused some to wonder if the dead in Christ would miss out on this resurrection. In other words, the optimism of the Thessalonians' hope in Christ was colliding with the pessimism of a bleak day-to-day -day reality. In his letter, Paul reviewed the history of his mission and brought the Thessalonian church up to date on his activities. He exhorted them to live honestly and to keep pure in their sexual relationships. This was especially needed for those who grew up Gentile. Then finally, he wrote about Jesus' return. Paul explained, that those who died before the Lord's coming will actually rise first when he arrives. Only then will he catch up those still alive to meet him in the air. Most likely, Timothy was the one who delivered the first epistle to the Thessalonians. A few months later, while Paul was still in Corinth, he received word that the Thessalonians had been duped by a rumor that the day of the Lord had already arrived. All of the congregation was upset, and some had even quit jobs and turned into busybodies. Perhaps Timothy returned to Corinth with the news that Paul's first letter was misunderstood. The second epistle deals with the same problems, but it's somewhat more direct. The Thessalonians were still experiencing persecution, so Paul commended them for their steadfastness and strongly condemned their persecutors. Paul wrote about the coming certain judgment when Jesus returns. However, he reminded the Thessalonians that the day of the Lord 
would not come until the mysterious man of lawlessness arrived, whom Jesus would destroy when he returns. Finally, Paul encouraged the church to stand firm in the gospel that had been preached to them and then warned against some irresponsible behaviors. So what happened after Paul's letters to the church? Well, Acts never mentions Paul's revisiting the congregation. Thessalonica, however, should probably be included when Luke in the book of Acts and Paul both speak of Macedonia. Paul spoke of the generosity of the Macedonians. In our context, we would think of Philippi and Thessalonica. While on his third missionary journey, we find this in 2 Corinthians 8 and chapter 11 and then in Romans 15. Paul traveled between Philippi and Corinth by foot at the end of his third missionary journey, and that's mentioned in Acts 20. He surely stayed with his Thessalonian believers along the way. Two of the most trusted Thessalonians were among those who accompanied him with his offering to the Jerusalem Christians noted in Acts 20. We are also told about a man named Demas who deserted Paul while he was imprisoned, leaving for Thessalonica. And we find that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. This same person is named in Colossians and Philemon being called a faithful worker in Philemon 24. We are not told why Demas selected Thessalonica as his safe place to escape. The Bible is silent otherwise about Paul's relationship with the church in Thessalonica. Now let's think about the themes that are found in these two letters. Paul's letters to the Thessalonians were personal and encouraging. Some of the same big themes are in each book, but for us to get to that, we need to look at the themes in each individual book. First of all, in 1 Thessalonians, we find these main points, that a church can flourish and faithfully demonstrate love in the midst of persecution. God's leaders are called to faithfully share his message with pure motives. It's God's will for all believers to be sanctified through obediently living out his commands. And lastly, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Therefore, we must be ready. Some of the themes in 2 Thessalonians are that God's people will experience suffering in this world, but will also experience God's glory throughout eternity. A man of lawlessness must precede the return of Christ. And third, God's people are to faithfully share the gospel and serve him as they await the return of Christ. As I noted, his letters are pastoral in nature. And while they're based on solid theology and the gospel, they also address practical issues. So his letters, they, they weren't textbooks providing some broad and full coverage of all possible issues of the faith. Instead, they targeted specific needs and questions that were to be filtered through a deep understanding of God's truth. So there's two critical themes that emerge in both letters to the Thessalonian believers. The first one is suffering and perseverance. The attacks that Paul faced in Thessalonica continued even after he left. Paul reminded his readers that they should not be surprised by persecution because opposition will come to believers in a fallen world. Paul did not minimize or dismiss the suffering that was being endured. Instead, 
he reminded them that they were not suffering as evildoers, but for doing good. The best response to persecution, Paul explained, was to keep on doing good. Ultimately, their faithfulness would be rewarded and their unrepentant persecutors would be punished. The second theme we see is eschatology and endurance. Several times, Paul reminded the Thessalonians of truths he had taught them regarding the end times. You have three major passages, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. And then you have some briefer passages. In 1 Thessalonians, you find in 1, 10, 2, 19, and 20, 3, 5, 3, 12, and then in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 12, and 2, 14. All of these verses help the church wrestle with various issues related to the end times. Paul approached the end times with a pastoral purpose, and the truths to which he gave attention should still have a direct impact on how we live today. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul sought to comfort believers who had lost loved ones by reminding them of the future reunion at Christ's return. Then in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 of the first letter, he reminded them that the Lord will return in glory for believers, but would also be returning in judgment for the unbelievers. As a result, they should live a disciplined Christian life in anticipation of that day. Christian hope depends on a future judgment when God brings justice and vindicates his faithful followers. So for Paul, eschatology never served to satisfy some idle curiosity. Instead, it provided assurance, comfort, and motivation to continue living the Christian life, even when times were hard. Paul's words continue to remind us today that our future should challenge us to live well in the present. In both letters to the Thessalonians, Paul freely showed his appreciation for the positive things he saw in the church, but he also challenged them to mature in every area. This balance between the good of the moment and the better that can be makes the study of these short letters so important for us today. We live in a world filled with chatter and distractions. Now, both of those things have been present throughout history, getting repackaged in different ways for each generation. The noise of the day is one tool that Satan uses to turn our focus away from Jesus and stunt our spiritual growth. The believers in Thessalonica needed to focus on the truth. They faced persecution and false teachers, but thankfully, these distractions had not gotten in the way of their devotion to Christ and to one another. Paul also reminded the Thessalonians that the return of Jesus should cause them to live in such a way that they would honor him, even in persecution. In our culture, we can easily become distracted by the noise of a lost and fallen world. We need to not allow that noise to silence us or discourage us. We serve the risen Savior who is coming back to take us home. Our lives should be a celebration of that reality 
and our future should give us the confidence to stand for Jesus in this world right now. As we study Paul's letters to the Thessalonians, we will discover that keeping our focus on Jesus and encouraging others to do the same will help us stand ready for the return of Jesus and will equip us to point others toward heaven.